0: UFO Thinker Podcast. Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker Podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic which has been raging ever since i wanted to start a podcast but initially thought well i'm not an astrophysicist i'm not a fighter pilot and i've never even seen a ufo i'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery but that's when a light bulb went off there are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff so why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective all the bs stripped away as a few people have said and let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon, with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free. But supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise and i really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on patreon or not so now with all of that said let's get into today's episode hello and welcome back to another episode of ufo thinker podcast my name's frank And let's get cracking. So there's been a lot going on. And I just want to drop a little warning in that this is probably going to be quite a long episode. I mean, I don't know yet. We'll see how it plays out. But let's just say I've got a lot of notes. And some of this is actually not exactly the most recent news because some of this has happened really over the last couple of weeks i've had a lot of interviews over the last few weeks as you can probably see that have gone up on the podcast and so some of this i've not had a chance to get round to and also i've moved away from the breaking news aspects of this it's rather than that it's you know i'm not really interested in taking part of that rush to report on something as quickly as possible because the way that i prefer to do it as i've mentioned in the past is to really think about you know what's gone on get to the bottom of it try and actually understand it myself as best as i can and sometimes especially if it's a quite a you know something that requires a bit of in-depth looking into that can take a little bit of a while from when the initial thing happens to me talking about it on here but as i say i think in the interests of really trying to get to the bottom of it that's the way to do it so as I say some of this is things that have happened you know over the last 10 days I would say um, but all very interesting and some really big pretty monumental bombshells that have uh, that have happened over the last few weeks so pretty excited to get into this to be fair so let's get cracking with it so first of all we've got uh, Ross Coulter mentioned uh, on, on his Twitter page and also on his podcast as well about the uh, f- quote former head of the French spy agency DGSE saying that UAPs were detected moving underwater at the speed of sound that's one mile in 4.69 seconds unquote so that was the exact tweet that Ross put out about uh, what had happened there. Now, obviously, this is pretty fascinating stuff and especially fascinating since it's coming from someone who's had a career where they'd possibly be in a position to know a lot more about this kind of thing than the average person. So the, the French spy agency, DGSE, is basically the French equivalent of the CIA and um, Alain Jullet, I think I'm saying that right, was the head of the intelligence directorate of the DGSE france's foreign intelligence service from 2002 to 2003 so he did occupy that particular post for a relatively short amount of time um but it, you know i have been able to have a look and find out that he did actually indeed uh, operate as the head of the intelligence directorate of the dgse so his credentials check out as you would expect i'm sure ross coltart wouldn't have been talking about him unless he'd already done that due diligence as well now i was thinking about this whole thing so basically this guy is basically saying that uaps were detected he's aware of of them being detected moving underwater at at the speed of sound or faster than the speed of sound Uh, and that basically equates to one mile in 4.69 seconds now i was thinking how does that compare to other objects that move around underwater at great speed so i'll go into a little bit of some comparisons Uh, in a second so the fastest submarine that i could find is um i found some information online quote in 1968 there was an incident when a soviet november class submarine tracked an american carrier group traveling at 31 knots which equates to 57 kilometers an hour this led the United States Navy to develop the Los Angeles class submarines, whose reported speed is thirty to thirty-two knots, so slightly faster than the um, you know the the Soviet submarine, which can do thirty-one knots, and that's fifty-six to fifty-nine kilometers an hour. Unquote. So that's that. And for comparison, there because when we were talking about uh, the speed that this UAP has traveled at, the 57 kilometers an hour or 31 knots is 15.83 meters per second and if we're actually talking about the speed that this uap or us always is actually the term isn't it unidentified submerged object um so the actual speed that that traveled according to what is generally accepted as the speed of sound underwater is approximately 1493 meters a second so the speed of sound basically which i'm going to go into that in a lot more detail in a minute but um, if you accept the speed of sound more or less is about 1493 meters a second the fastest submarine traveling at 15.83 meters a second so the likelihood of this being a a, a mischaracterization a misidentification of a submarine is extremely slim because we're talking about it's literally i don't even know what is that it's like a thousand times faster a hundred times faster or something my maths is not the best as you can tell but you know we're talking about the fastest submarines in the world can go around about 15 16 meters a second and this object was going at 1500 meters a second, and um, so totally different. Also, just out of interest, I was looking at the fastest torpedo, and um, which is apparently uh, something called a Russian super cavitating torpedo, uh, and they can travel at roughly 200 knots, so significantly faster than a submarine, as you'd probably expect. But that equates to 102.8 meters a second. And that is nowhere near the claimed speed of the USO, which is, as I said, coming up to 1500 metres a second. So there doesn't seem to be much that can travel underwater at that kind of speed. And obviously there isn't any large marine animal that can travel that fast either. So obviously all of this sounds absolutely fascinating. But I always try and take things like this with a pinch of salt. Even though he is definitely in a position to know more than most, it is unclear whether this gentleman was actually read into any official French UFO programs. And we know by this stage that you can have a long and distinguished intelligence career without ever coming into direct contact with a program that looks into UFOs or UAP. So for example, John Ramirez has said he was never read into a UFO program, you know, even though he's had a long, decades long career high up in the CIA. So, just because you have an intelligence background doesn't necessarily mean you have all the answers. And I think it's very important to bear that in mind when we talk about these kinds of things. Having said that, at the very least, someone with an intelligence background may have heard things on the grapevine. And also, even just having an intelligence background gives you good training for an analyzing data and identifying patterns, etc. So I think these people are definitely um, worth listening to. Very interesting to hear their viewpoints, but it's not clear exactly that these kinds of stories are coming from a place of direct knowledge. I mean this gentleman Alain Jullet has he directly seen on sensor systems evidence of this or has he just heard it from somebody else was he read into an actual program or is he does he know somebody that was read into a program that has told him this it's all a bit unclear and you know it's it's not really something that you can take to the bank but still interesting to to hear about so is this hearsay has he seen data or footage of the object obviously at this stage we are unfortunately after t- having to take this individual's word for it, which is not something that you can really class as proper scientific evidence. And, um, it also reminds me of a, a really interesting case that I've been talking about on Twitter this last few days, which is the, something that I've talked about on the podcast before and, and regular listeners might remember. Um, there was a, an appearance from Lou Elizondo on the Terry Verts podcast and Um, the the story that he told was about uh, some testing that was going on of torpedoes so these testing torpedoes get fired and uh, they have like a some monitoring equipment on board the torpedo which once the torpedo has been fired they go and retrieve the torpedo in order to take the little kind of monitoring black box type of um, piece of equipment out of it and then they can you know find out certain things about the, the 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 telemetry and the you know the speed it was going at and then they analyze all of that as part of the testing so the story goes as, as Lou Elizondo told it on the Terry Verts podcast was that a helicopter went out to retrieve this torpedo and Upon arriving at the scene of the torpedo, a guy gets kind of lowered down from the helicopter on a, on a rope or something similar um, to retrieve the torpedo. Now, as he was being lowered down, um, some kind of large object, and I've heard it described in one of the accounts as like a large disc-shaped object, sort of rose up from the... Uh, the depth of the ocean apparently sucked down the torpedo the the test torpedo um, and um, and then shot off uh, at a high rate of speed now i when i first heard that on the terry verts podcast really interested about it But at the end of the day, that was kind of the last we heard. One or two other podcasters who interviewed Lou Elizondo just after that uh, asked him about it, and he didn't really go into any detail. And then I think the the trail went a bit cold, really, and I've not really heard much about it since, not thought about it. Anyway, there was a new interview with Tom DeLonge in Thrasher magazine that's come out literally over the last week or two. And in that, he actually talked about the same case again, and what he says is that they actually had the witnesses ready to go on TV and talk about it. And he talk, he mentions witnesses as well. So it's not just one witness. We're talking about multiple witnesses here. So you'd think maybe that's the helicopter pilot or somebody on board the helicopter and also the, um, the person who was lowered down potentially as well. I would imagine it's probably, it would have been something that they were trying to put together for the unidentified series that they did, um, Lou Elizondo was involved in that and so was Tom DeLonge, so it stands to reason that if Lou knows about this story, Tom DeLonge knows about it, they're talking about bringing people onto a TV show, it's probably that. Now, I posted a tweet about that and um, the the tweet basically had a few people replying to it. In fact, it got loads of people replying to it. It kind of went a bit semi-viral. And some of the people who commented mentioned that Dave Fravor had also talked about this story when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast quite some time ago. Now, I'd completely forgotten about this. I, I do. I did watch the entire Dave Fravor interview. I think I've watched it a couple of times. But whenever I've watched it, I've been very focused on the Tic Tac Nimitz encounter, and probably you know other details that he's mentioned. I've kind of skimmed over. And he did mention, and I went back and checked it he talked about this exact same story and it's uh, really interesting to hear all these multiple mentions because each time it gets mentioned there's slightly different information in there which kind of builds the bigger picture so really interesting so far all i know of about this particular incident is it was mentioned by at first dave fravor on the joe rogan podcast and the way that Dave Fravor talks about it is that he actually knows the people involved. So I would imagine that what's probably happened is Dave Fravor has mentioned this story to Lou Zondo or Tom DeLonge behind the scenes when they were doing the TTSA uh, stuff. And they've got in touch with the witnesses and then... Tried to bring them onto the TV show. Apparently, they got nervous at the last minute, the way Tom delonge uh, says it, and they backed out. So I would imagine that the reason that they backed out is probably because of, uh, you know, stigma, fear of ridicule, fear of damage to their careers, because they may still be active um, in their duties. Dave Fravor says that it happened in the mid-90s, which was interesting because that wasn't mentioned by Lou or Tom DeLonge. So we kind of know roughly when it happened is in the mid-90s. We know that there's multiple witnesses who have been on the verge of coming forward in the past and who knows they may come forward again in the future, especially as as this whole thing rolls along. The stigma does seem to be reducing. It's more and more accepted. I mean, if you think when... uh, when Dave Fravor was actually on Joe Rogan quite some time ago now, we're talking about a few years back. So things have changed quite a bit. So I wouldn't be surprised to see these witnesses coming forward at some point relatively soon, but we'll just just have to wait and see. So anyway, as I was saying, the three times I know of this case being mentioned are, firstly, Dave Fravor on the Joe Rogan podcast, and then second was Lou Elizondo on the Terry Verts podcast, and then the third and most recent time it was mentioned was Tom DeLonge in this Thrasher magazine interview. Now, obviously, all we've heard on that particular case is it's coming from some very interesting sources of people who are probably in a position to know what, what's actually gone on with this. And, you know, they may have seen the data or footage or spoke to the witnesses, well, almost certainly spoke to the witnesses. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, I haven't spoken to the witnesses. I haven't heard those witnesses speak and I haven't seen any data or any footage or anything. So unfortunately, we're just stuck in that same position as what I was talking about with the the French USO. Um, I don't know if it actually occurred in France, but the, the USO that was referred to by Alain Jullet. And we're kind of in a similar position. We're hearing a very intriguing story it's very interesting to hear about. And I love hearing about that particular story. I find fascinating, but that's kind of all you can really do with it at this point is just hear about it and be fascinated by it because there's no, there's nothing on the table to allow you to do a proper thorough investigation to form any conclusions that this definitely happened, that it may have, you know, may have been, this may have been that you can't really do that. Cause we don't have data. We don't have witnesses to, you know, to listen to and, yeah, it's, it's really intriguing, but also really frustrating because I would love to hear from the witnesses and find out if there is any data. I would imagine we probably won't see any data because the only data you could see is, is possibly radar data. And these radar systems, they don't they don't tend to want to release the, uh, the screen recordings of any of the systems or anything. So it's quite unlikely we'll see any data, but it would be interesting to hear from a witness that they saw it on the sensor systems for example you know things like that but unfortunately at this stage we've not got any of that so what just want to keep an eye on who knows but i do find it very interesting that we are hearing more about these underwater objects and especially moving very very fast underwater because that really is quite uh, an interesting thought and if there is any verifications of it definitely moved at this speed because we caught it on this particular sensor system or whatever that will make it all the more interesting Um, but since we're talking about the speed of sound and this kind of thing i thought it was worth going into that a little bit more so this is going to get a bit technical if you find that a bit boring or you'd rather just get on to the next topic just have a look in the timestamp of the episode and you'll be able to skip to the next um kind of thing that i'm going to talk about which is a really really big one so don't miss that if you're a bit put off by the more technical stuff just um just skip to the next bit because you need to hear about the uh the the next topic but anyway let's get into the actual uh the sciencey stuff so According to the BBC Science Focus website, sound is a wave of alternating compression and expansion, so its speed depends on how fast it bounces back from each compression. The less compressible the medium it's travelling through, the faster it bounces back. Water is about 15,000 times less compressible than air, but it's also about 800 times more dense. The extra density means that the molecules accelerate more slowly for a given force, which slows the compression wave down. So water's high density partly offsets its extreme incompressibility and sound travels at 1,493 meters a second, about four times faster than through air, So I thought that was interesting to consider because if we're talking about the speed of sound, what are we really talking about there? We're we talking about the speed of sound through water, you would imagine so. And <clears throat> the thing is, it does get a little bit more tricky than that as well. So for clarity, I also checked the speed of sound in air. But the thing is, whether you're talking about air or water, it does depend on some different factors, such as the temperature of the air or the temperature of the water, the altitude that you measure the the actual speed in air or the depth that you, that you measure it in water. So, the speed of sound refers to the speed of sound waves in air. However, the speed of sound varies from substance to substance, as I mentioned earlier. Typically, sound travels most slowly in gases, actually, faster in liquids, and even faster in solids. So, Travel of uh, sound travels at three hundred and forty-three meters a second in air. Again, that is like a kind of a, an average because depending on um the altitude and the temperature of the air, etc., it can vary. But we'll just use that as a as a kind of a basis. Three forty-three meters a second in air around about 1481 meters a second in water which as you can see there that is slightly different to the one i quoted earlier so depending on where you look the speed of sound underwater again does vary depending on the different variables but the fact is the speed of sound is approximately four times faster, and again varies depending on all the, the different variables there. Um, but apparently, through iron, it travels up to fifteen times as fast, which is around about five thousand one hundred twenty meters a second. And in an exceptionally stiff material such as diamond, sound actually travels at twelve thousand meters a second, which is thirty nine feet per second, just in case anyone was interested in in that measurement there, uh, which is about thirty five times faster its speed in air, and generally about the fastest it can travel. So, if you want sound to travel very fast, send it through a diamond if you've got the resources available to do that. Um, But yeah, since we're on the topic of how fast sound waves can move through various mediums, it's probably just worth going into a little bit about how waves are measured. And I have talked about on the podcast about hertz before. Now, hertz is basically the format of measuring anything, really, in cycles per second. And sound waves is the actual one that I've had direct experience in. I produce music, and in music, EQ is measured in hertz, with the lowest frequencies producing a low-pitched sound, being lower in frequency rate. In other words, how frequent a full oscillation of a wave takes place. So, human hearing actually goes as low as 20 hertz, which is a very low sub-bass frequency, and it goes all the way up to 20,000 hertz. So, the human range of hearing you could describe as 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. But that's interesting because sound does exist outside of what humans can hear. So there are lower frequencies than 20 hertz and higher frequencies than 20,000 hertz. For example, bats can actually hear frequencies between 1,000 hertz and 150,000 hertz. So bear in mind, human hearing tops out at 20,000 hertz. And bats can hear things all the way from 20,000 up to 150,000. So there's a whole segment of reality that humans can't even pick up on there, which is really interesting. Now, dogs are generally thought to have a very keen sense of hearing, but that doesn't even really come close to uh, to bats. So, the highest frequency that a dog can hear is double that of humans, which is or roughly double, which is around about forty six thousand hertz. Uh, which is um, anything below human hearing range is classed as infrasound, which is something that we've heard talked about, uh, mentioned by um people who you know trying to detect uap activity using infrasound so infrasound is that which is below the range of human hearing very very low frequency and they've also used uh, various infrasound detection methods to detect long very very distant explosions because infrasound uh, is a way of monitoring that so anything above the threshold of human hearing is ultrasound so bats and dogs can hear way way above what humans can bats in particular and um as i say you can use detection equipment to to pick up on things that are in in the infrasound or the ultrasound parts of the sound spectrum now every wave travels at a particular speed electromagnetic waves always travel at the same speed which is 300 million meters per second and sound waves all travel at the same speed in a given medium so for example um, approximately 340 meters per second in air and approximately 1500 meters per second in in water etc now the thing is there that's that's very important to remember is that sound waves are not actually classed as part of the electromagnetic spectrum and the reason i'm going into this is because we hear about these things quite a lot and i know about the sound uh, side of things through music and the work that i do there but i hear people a lot quoting about certain things and i think sometimes people get mixed up and i don't know some people might find this interesting some people might have heard all this before but i thought it'd be interesting to just go into it and give people a bit of a roundup of how it all works and you know it helps to kind of consolidate my own knowledge on it as well so it's important to remember that as sound waves travel through whatever medium they're passing through the speed that they travel through depends on the temperature of the medium this is what i was saying earlier about those variables so for example sound moves through the air very differently depending on the air temperature and the air humidity and the reason for this is because sound is a wave a a sort of knock-on effect of particles transferring energy and that's why sound is not part of the electromagnetic spectrum because uh, the electromagnetic waves like light can actually travel through a vacuum, which is why we can see distant light from stars because light can travel through the vacuum of space. Sound can't travel through a vacuum. Sound actually needs a medium to travel through like air or water. So there is a difference there between sound waves and electromagnetic waves and i think it's important to bear that in mind and it's very interesting to know about if you're looking into this topic because we hear about these terminologies quite a lot so an example of what i was saying about a second ago with sound waves is that on a very cold day the speed of sound can actually be up to 10 percent lower because the actual air particles don't have as much energy because everything is is colder so the sound actually doesn't travel as fast and similarly, the temperature of water can affect the speed at which sound waves move through it. So, again, if we're talking about the speed of sound underwater, it all depends on the temperature of the water, the depth of the water, and, and factors like that. And other factors that can affect the speed of sound in water include the salinity of the water. So safe to say it is quite complicated. Um, But, you know, this is probably a bit overkill in terms of detail. But I thought it was interesting to go into since we were hearing about objects that can move underwater at, at, you know, the speed of sound it's kind of a, a complicated you know thing to get your head around if you're talking about well what is the speed of sound so um it's unclear exactly how fast this object was traveling and as you can see it's quite complicated to figure out what that speed may have been but safe to say as i mentioned earlier it's not really likely to be a submarine if it was really genuinely traveling that fast, which, as I say, we can't really confirm unless we get the proper data um, or, you know, even just some verification from witnesses would be nice. Um, but as I say, if it, is, if it does turn out to be the case that it was traveling that fast, it's very unlikely to be a submarine, almost impossible and it's very unlikely to be a torpedo because they're not even going at you know that it's like 10 percent of the speed of, of what this object apparently was traveling at so there you go some extra information about uh, the speed of sound and the way that these different waves work uh, hopefully some some of you listeners found that interesting and hopefully I didn't go on too much so moving on to the next extremely important topic which is john greenwald's work that he's been doing now john greenwald i've mentioned before uh, on the podcast he is kind of the undisputed heavyweight FOIA champion of the world um so he's basically somebody who's been interested in the FOIA process so that's freedom of information and requests uh, from the u.s government he's been doing it for decades now and has become basically an expert in the process of requesting these documents so the idea of it is just in case anybody's not aware is that these laws, FOIA laws, were, were passed so that the public um, can demand transparency from the government about documents that have been, you know, concealed from the public through classification processes. If you think you've got a case to um, say, actually, do you know what, I don't think that should be classified, I want to know what's in that particular document, uh, you can request for that to be revealed and your request will then be processed. They will look through the information that you've requested and they will redact some information which they deem to be um you know in, in the in the best interests of the the country and the people to keep it hidden they redact those parts of the document and then release it in a redacted form sometimes it can be heavily redacted sometimes it can only be slight redactions it all depends obviously on what it is that you're looking for and as i said john greenwald from the black vault has been doing this for a long long time and he's compiled a massive uh, archive of FOIA documents on his website theblackvault.com So firstly, in response to a FOIA request, he received a letter from the Obama Presidential Library confirming that they have approximately 3,440 pages and 26,271 electronic files that pertain to his request for ATIP, UFO, UAP and ORSAP information. Now, this news was pretty widely shared and reported on by n- different news outlets and media organizations all over the world. It's an understandably pretty big story, and it was nice to see that amount of interest in it, in, in my opinion. It's good to see that kind of coverage. But just very quickly, I wanted to just go into why that's significant, because especially if, you, if you're if you from the UK like myself, what is the Presidential Library? What What's that all about then? You know, is it literally a library? Is it what? You know, we don't know. So, Presidential libraries, as I found out, are not actually a library as such. Uh, They are basically like an archive, or like a museum in a a way, which brings together in one place all of the documents and artefacts of a a president and uh, his administration, or his or her administration, and presents them to the public for study and discussion. And it's kind of supposed to be separate to any political affiliations or considerations and things like that, Uh, but it's basically... A part of the National Archives and Records Administration um, (NARA), which is uh, where all of the the documents are actually uh, maintained and, and and kept on top of. So, obviously, what we're talking about here is the all of the documents and all of the correspondences, etc., that Barack Obama had during his time in office, and John Greenwald has requested information on that archive. As to was there anything in there about ATIP, UFO, UAP and ORSAP? And he found out that there were approximately 3,440 pages and 26,271 electronic files that relate to those topics, which is pretty huge, really, if you think about it. Now, on the downside, in a response to a follow-up question about how long it might take to actually access that information. Uh, John Greenwell was told the following quote as stated in our letter dated February the 18th 2022 part of the request blah 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 has been piggybacked onto a FOIA request uh, previously submitted for similar records. The request that yours is piggybacked onto is in the complex unclassified electronic queue and there are 64 requests ahead of it in this queue. Our best estimate at this time is that it may be completed in approximately 12 years. As stated in our letter dated March the 10th, 2022, part of request blah 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 is in the complex unclassified electronic queue, and there are 87 requests ahead of yours in this queue. Our best estimate at this time is that it may be completed in approximately 16 years. Unquote. So basically what they're saying is, yeah we've got all this amazing stuff that relates to what you want to hear about but you're not going to hear about it for over a decade um so the reasons that that is going to be so slow of a process is unclear at this stage but i understand that john greenwald has followed up that uh, correspondence with some requests for clarification as to why it will take so long and if there's anything they can do to speed up the process etc so really really interesting as i say this actually happened a little while ago it's probably 10 days to two weeks ago now but i've not had a chance to uh, talk about that on here since so i thought it was worth mentioning but in other news and more significant news probably the biggest thing that's happened so far this year in the ufo topic john greenwald actually received a long through a very long and complicated uh, FOIA request process, which I believe included various follow-ups and clarifications and delays and hurdles thrown up in the way of of, uh, John Greenwald, he finally received a copy of the classified version of the UAP Task Force report that came out last June. Now, I know that report pretty well, and I remember it quite clearly as it was the first or... One of the first episodes that I did on the podcast was a reaction to the release of the unclassified uh, UAP task force report. I think it was the second one. I forget now going back. But anyway, so it was round about the time of starting the podcast and um, hearing that that particular thing came out from the, the government that they had uh, a UAP task force and they were, they were giving out reports. Obviously, it was quite a huge news at the time. And here we are, sort of coming up to a year later. Through a very complicated request process, John Greenwald has managed to secure the classified version of that report, which is um, something that's been speculated about quite a lot. So the idea of that was that the people on on the uh, in, in Congress were actually shown this classified report, but the public were only able to see the unclassified version, which was a reduced version of the the full report the full classified report and obviously you know there was a lot of speculation about what the actual classified report uh, contained and now we at least have a better idea of what it did contain so the first point that's worth mentioning is the length of the report because at the time that the unclassified report uh, came out on june the 25th there was much speculation about how long and how detailed the classified version actually was which obviously the public couldn't see and i've seen various different reports and accounts of how long this classified report was from some very you know high uh, highly placed sources and um, people in the public you know that have mentioned about this so I've heard things like 400 pages 200 pages 70 78 73 pages and as it turns out the version that actually John Greenwald received is 17 pages in length so it's significantly shorter than a lot of the estimates that people had been throwing around on, on UFO twitter and so on now I have heard arguments that 17 may have actually been overheard and misheard as 70. 17, 70, you could kind of hear how that could happen. So that is a possibility, but unclear at this stage as to whether that actually happened. I've actually heard certain people on social media who claim to be in the know regarding the length of the classified report, having said that what John Greenwald received is actually not the full classified report. So it's a bit confusing and unclear at this stage as as to exactly whether or not this is the full version but it does seem to be the classified report at least in part and what we have got very interesting there is an anonymous account on twitter who claims to be an insider with access to the full classified report and um, this individual uh, goes by the name of uh, Richard Butt on Twitter, um, which, you know, I suppose is just like a daft anonymous name. Um, but this this individual has claimed that the full report is 73 pages and said, quote, I can literally walk over to my JWICS terminal right now and pull the report up. It's 73, unquote. But obviously, we'd just be relying on an anonymous Twitter account there. But, you know, I thought it was worth mentioning because you can make of that what you will. Obviously, people pressed this anonymous account for details, but no further details were released. And J-Wix is the internal um, kind of intranet system that's used by people in the CIA and so on. Uh, and it's all you know highly highly secretive and and classified Um, and obviously even if this did this person did have access to that system which i'm i'm not saying they do or they don't i just don't know um even if they did have that access and and they're saying it is 73 pages they can't prove that so it's a difficult one with these kind of anonymous accounts and sources interesting to hear about obviously you can make of it what you will um And what I tend to do with things like that is, especially when somebody's coming across so certain about this, is just keep that in the back of your mind. It's an interesting little tidbit of information to know about. Keep it in mind and remember the person who had mentioned that. If it turns out that there is absolute definitive proof that that report is not 73 pages in length, then you know that person can't be trusted with other information going forward because they've already said something very definitively and clearly that turned out to be wrong however if it does turn out in the future that we find out that this report is 73 pages long then it might be worth considering that this person really is who they say they are and that's what i try to do because at the end of the day i don't know that person as an individual and i don't have any information that can back up what they're saying but put a pin in it come back to it when we actually know more about this in the future and it can kind of inform you know your decision making going forward on that side of things but anyway i thought that was worth going into because there is some speculation about whether or not this is the full report if there's some more that we may get access to down the line but what we've got right now on the table is 17 pages and i'm not going to do a deep dive into this of every single aspect of it because that would just take forever and actually john greenwald has, has pretty much already done that on his youtube channel which i would recommend if you're interested in looking at this any more detail than what i've done is go to john greenwald's uh, website you can actually access the full document that's the black vault.com i'll just google the black vault it comes up and in his video on his youtube channel he's actually done a, a really good direct comparison with the unclassified report on one side of the screen the classified on the other and done a direct comparison between the two which is really interesting i recommend going checking that out if you want some more detail on it um and yeah you can just find that You just go to youtube type in the black vault or go the blackvault.com, you'll be able to find all of that now one thing that made me think about this whole thing is obviously it's very heavily redacted But there's a couple of points I wanted to make about the redactions in general. So first of all, we have to understand that when this is taking place, when they do the redacting, they do tend to err on the side of caution. So you know, if there's a question mark as to whether or not something should be redacted, obviously the safest thing to do is to redact it anyway. And then maybe it could be down the line that some of those redactions get appealed and we may start to see some of these boxes these black boxes that cover up the text being removed as time goes along so it's important to remember because when you look at this document as we'll get into in a little bit some of it is quite comical in terms of the amounts of redactions i mean there's, there's bits of it that are literally completely blacked out in, almost an entire page but we do have to bear in mind that yeah some of those redactions may be lifted in the future as a result of appeals and i know john greenwald is planning to appeal some of these now the second part is you have to understand actually the reason for some of the redactions and as much as we're obviously keen being interested in the ufo topic we're keen to get to the bottom of this you do have to understand that some of it refers to weaknesses in sensor systems detecting these unidentified objects And obviously, you're not going to reveal what the weaknesses are because then you could just hand those over to your adversaries and then they would know how to uh, manipulate and take advantage of the weaknesses in your sensor systems. So that is a fairly significant point as to why they have to redact certain things. But worth going into as well is the actual reasons that they give for the redactions. So if you're looking at this document which I recommend you do, because again, you know, interesting, really fascinating to see. Um, Each redaction is just a black box over the text, but it will have a little code in in the actual redaction box. And they are all listed as uh, various different categories. So the ones that are actually used in this are A, military plans, weapon systems or operations. So obviously, if they're talking about something in a certain... Uh, line or a certain section of the document that refers directly to military plans weapon systems or operations they wouldn't want that getting into the hands of the adversaries or you know or anybody really for, for fairly obvious reasons i would say um and then there's also b foreign government information which i don't think is actually used in this document then there is c intelligence activities including covert action intelligence sources or methods or cryptology d foreign relations or foreign activities of the united states including confidential sources and then there's a couple of others again i don't think are used in this document and g vulnerabilities or capabilities of systems installations infrastructures projects plans or protection services relating to the national security so those are the reasons that are actually cited as why certain parts have had to be redacted and in some cases it's multiple of those as well so and that's interesting to know as well and again john greenwell talks about this in his his excellent breakdown of it uh, as to why you know some of those may be understandable and perhaps others not understandable and the ones that are deemed to be not so understandable are the ones that will be appealed and hopefully we might see some uh, some of those redactions being removed so picked out a few bits to go through first of all is the redacted agency which had had some input into the actual putting together of this report so at the beginning of this document there's a section which refers to all of the various different governmental agencies and departments which had had input in actually putting this together and they're listed as a quote This report was prepared for the Congressional Intelligence and Armed Services Committees under the auspices of the ODNI. It was drafted by the UAPIF National Intelligence Manager for Aviation with input from USDI&S redacted. DIA, FBI, NRO, NGA, NSA, Air Force, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, DARPA, FAA, NASA, NOAA, ODNI, NIM, Emerging and Disruptive Technology, ODNI, National Counterintelligence and Security, and ODNI, National Intelligence Council, unquote. So the lists a fairly comprehensive batch of different agencies and departments there, but there's just one that is redacted now many have speculated that that's the cia because that's pretty much one of the only ones that's not listed there well there is others as well but cia you would sort of expect to see there and it's not listed um but that's not certain that it is the cia it's also worth noting that the the marine corps and nasa are included in the classified version but were not included in the unclassified version. So that's interesting as to why the public report didn't say Marine Corps or NASA, but in the classified version, they're, they're both listed. So that that's quite interesting to, to consider. The reasons why that might be the case is open to speculation, I suppose. And that's the thing about the CIA, um, the possibility of that redacted agency there as being the CIA. And, um, it could just be an error, you know. It, who knows? You know, and it, it could also be an error that the Marine Corps and NASA are listed in one report but not the other. But it, it seems to me that, you know, that's a pretty big error. Who knows? I mean, all I can say for sure is that that was the case because, you, like I say, you can see them side by side and one contains Marine Corps and NASA, the other doesn't, and one of them just has a. Um, you know, goes from one agency to the next and in the classified version there's a small redacted agency in there which seems to be from the size of the redaction on the page it seems to be a three-letter agency the cia definitely would fit in that gap who knows we don't know for sure but i'd say it's a fairly um you know a fairly good guess to say that it's the cia now the classified version does confirm as well that there was only one out of all of the cases which looked at um, which was identified as a deflating balloon and also range foulers are mentioned a term which we'll probably hear a lot more about um, and that's defined as quote naviators define a range fowler as an activity or object that interrupts pre-planned training or other military activity in a military operating area or restricted airspace unquote so i think it's an interesting interesting point to bear in mind that range followers are are defined like that and obviously we've heard a lot that uap are um you know interrupting military exercises and now the term range follower will probably see in these reports a lot as we as they go forward as well and the uh, other really significant area here that might be worth mentioning is the section which is heavily redacted which refers to the most commonly observed shapes and this is probably the area that's got people talking the most now john greenwald mentioned in his breakdown that he doesn't know the reason why the most commonly observed shapes would be redacted and there seems to be quite a large table in this classified report which actually shows well it's unclear exactly what it shows but potentially photographs screenshots center screen captures or drawn diagrams of witness accounts it's not clear perhaps a mixture of all of those but that entire section is completely redacted so we don't get any indications really as to what the actual observed shapes were And uh, I'll just read out a little bit of a quote here to show you the extent of the redactions. So this little bit actually that I'm about to read out doesn't have any redactions in it. And then it's followed by a very heavily redacted section. So there's a section says some potential patterns do emerge. And this is kind of following up from a section which explains about the difficulties in gathering data and so on. But he says, but some potential patterns do emerge. Although there was wide variability in the reports and the data set is currently too limited to allow for detailed trend or pattern analysis, there was some clustering of UAP observations regarding shape, size and particularly propulsion unquote so just going to talk about that for a second so i thought that was quite interesting the fact that propulsion was something that they all, all had in common so we're probably not talking about here i would suggest based off that we're not talking about just objects which apparently seem to float in the air we're actually talking about objects which seem to demonstrate propulsion, which suggests movement and perhaps common movement patterns uh, amongst quite a few of these cases. So I thought that was an interesting little uh, sentence in there. Uh, having said that, that was actually in the public report as well. So that isn't anything new as such. Sh- that was something that was already there. But I just thought it was interesting to note. Um, but then actually just after that it goes on to the bit which is heavily redacted which is not in the public report and this is the, the really interesting bit obviously the very mysterious bit unfortunately as well because we don't know what's behind the redactions but it says big redacted block and then the most common shape described by military personnel in their reporting was a redacted c figure one so that suggests obviously that Figure one is a demonstration of the shape, which is what I was talking about earlier. We don't know if that's a diagram, a photograph, but there was some kind of figure included in this document which demonstrated the actual shape of the object. And the way that it says it there, the most common shape was a and then just a redacted block. But I suppose you could look at the actual size of the redacted block. Now One thing that it's definitely not is an orb, because that would have, first of all, been an instead of a. And also, the block is not the right size for what an orb, you know, wouldn't fit in that gap. It looks to me as though it could be a it could possibly be triangle it could be rectangle it could be pyramid you know any of those seem to be the right length of word to fit in there but it's almost well it's certainly not an orb because it's just not the right size of 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 redacted block for orb and obviously it would be an instead of a so we can rule out orb I was just trying to rack my brains as to what else you might be able to rule out there, um, but be very interested to hear what what you guys think. If anyone's got any ideas on that, but we know that the most commonly um, the most common shape described by military personnel in their reporting was it's definitely not an orb. So that I thought was worth pointing out. Now it carries on. Quote: Military aviators described many of these redacted objects as redacted or redacted that. Redacted several sightings were redacted and resembled redacted shapes like a redacted or a redacted <laughs> so it's just comical isn't it really there's not much you can really make of that all you can do is is massively speculate which I'll try to refrain from doing I thought the, the it's definitely not an orb was worth mentioning um although I suppose it could it could still say sphere for example um was a sphere it does seem a bit too long of a redacted block but i mean what we're talking about there is the most common shape described and we know that that's not an orb now so that's interesting at least it was interesting to me and it also says military aviators described many of these objects now when it says many of these objects the redacted block is slightly shorter than the one where it says about the shape, the most commonly observed shape. So, I mean, this is pure speculation because we're literally now, or I literally, this moment in time, I'm trying to guess what is behind a completely blacked out box. So this is complete guesswork. But, you know, just humor me for a minute because we all think about this. You know, if you see a a block with a word behind it, you're going to try and figure out what the word is, aren't you? And I was thinking, could it possibly be We can rule out an orb because it doesn't make sense. So the most common shape described by military personnel in their reporting was a disc shape. Possibly could fit in that sort of gap. And military aviators described many of these smaller box than the previous one objects as and then a big redacted box. So if it said the most common shape described by military personnel in their reporting was a disc shape, military aviators describe many of these disc objects as blah that would kind of just about work in terms of the size of the boxes now it's complete guesswork it's probably not correct but i just thought i'd throw my little two pennies in there but this is what you res- what you have to resort to doing when you've got such a heavily redacted section and really it is just guesswork and i understand that. So, um, what can you what else can you do we just got to hope that some of these redacted boxes do get removed but having said that i totally understand why the redacted boxes are there because some of this stuff you know may be in the best interests of, of the american people to keep it redacted so overall absolutely fascinating and it'll be even more interesting to see if any appeals lead to some of them redactions being lifted as I said for certain areas until then we do just have to literally fill in the blanks Um, but I think you know the most important overall conclusion that I got from this report was yes we didn't get a really clear picture of exactly what was said because it's so heavily redacted we didn't really get any significant new cases but what we did get is confirmation that some of these are the cases you know some of these cases that were looked at are very compelling including actually one that mentions a navy uh, where's the quote there so he says a navy pilot is in an and then there's a heavily redacted section in altitude he noted the winds aloft were greater than redacted and he was fighting to keep his aircraft in the airspace and that phrase fighting to keep his aircraft in the airspace is a quote so that you know you'd assume that is something that's part of the pilot's testimony that was given and then it says quote redacted was redacted and its position was unaffected by the redacted the pilot redacted object was redacted so obviously again Oh, unquote. By the way, and and obviously again, that is um very heavily redacted. But the interesting thing there is, it's talking about a pilot who was struggling to keep his aircraft in the airspace, and you know fighting to keep his aircraft in the airspace, and the winds aloft were greater than, which suggests there were very high winds in play at that moment in time, which was causing the struggle to keep his air- aircraft actually up in the air and that its position was unaffected by the redacted, which you would assume is something to do with the weather conditions. I suppose it could be something else, but what that points to there is that there was some kind of object which didn't seem to be affected by the winds, even though the pilot who was observing the object was significantly affected by the winds. So that was quite interesting. It also um, goes into detail about a few other bits and bobs as well, Uh, but I think the the redactions are just so heavy, it's, uh, it's difficult to make anything out about the particular cases. There's one that says, for example, According to Redacted, during a redacted incident, the UAP redacted from the aircraft. Redacted shows the object redacted a 2004... UAP event reported, reportedly demonstrated, redacted. So again, 2004. Are we talking about the Tic Tac there? Are we talking about something else? It's just too difficult to say, unfortunately, because of the sheer amount of redactions. But still, a lot of interesting bits to to kind of read between the lines there. Um, and I think, as I say, what what is very interesting to me about this report, the classified report, is actually a lot of the people skeptics and you know certain politicians and this is a point that John Greenwald made in his analysis video is you do have to kind of question where the people, for example, the politicians who sort of indicated that having seen the classified report, there'sn't really nothing to, you know, to worry about. It's probably just gonna be, you know, foreign adversarial technologies or something like that, which I suppose in itself is something to worry about. So it baffles me a bit why people try and downplay it as oh, it's probably just Chinese or Russian drones. Well, even that in itself is like something you should be very concerned about if they can do things like what are being witnessed. But the point is, this report, the classified version of the report, even with the redactions, doesn't point towards a single case of a clearly identified drone or adversarial technology platform or anything to do with that. It also doesn't describe any of them as possibly being US Black Project Tech. So this report definitely, from from in my opinion, confirms that what we saw hints of in the unclassified report is very much the same kind of message as being put across in the classified report here and it makes it a lot more intriguing a bit more frustrating because obviously now we're talking about the the massive amounts of of redactions but very very interesting indeed and it it does seem to actually go a bit further as well in terms of ruling out things like the adversarial technology and the you know the the atmospheric weather conditions and things like that in fact actually the the one of the significant differences in the unclassified uh, report that says natural atmospheric phenomena natural atmospheric phenomena include ice crystals moisture and thermal fluctuations that may register on some infrared and radar systems that's it in the classified version that same section says the same thing but then it's got a redacted section and it says underneath that although we cannot definitively classify any UAP occurrences in our data set as caused by atmospheric phenomena we also cannot rule out the possibility that these factors may account for some of what the pilots have observed. And it's interesting to me that that's not in the public report, but it's in the classified version. So they're basically saying there, depends how you read that, but obviously we cannot definitively classify any UAP occurrences in our data set as caused by atmospheric phenomena. If you read that first half, what they're saying there is, look, we can't say for a fact that we can identify any of those cases as caused by atmospheric phenomena, which is very interesting. But it also says, following on from that, we also cannot rule out the possibility that these factors may account for some of what powers have observed. So obviously, that's an interesting sentence to me, that, because sceptics will pick up on the second half and, you know, people who are determined to, to look at it from the point of view of it's aliens will look at the first half of the sentence and just disregard the second half. I think what you have to do is try and look at the whole thing and be as as, as you know rational as possible here. But reading between the lines, they can't definitively classify any of these UAP occurrences as atmospheric phenomena in fact like i said earlier the only thing was one out of the 144 cases they were able to determine that it was actually a deflating balloon very interesting and they can't they can't definitively say any of them were atmospheric phenomenon they can't say that any of them were um u.s governmental tech and it actually says as well some uap observations could be attributable to classified usg aerospace programs or systems under development by commercial aerospace firms we were unable to confirm however that these systems accounted for any of the uap reports we collected and that's from the classified report and then if you go to look at the unclassified report it it doesn't quite word it the same way so the way that it words it in the unclassified report is some UAP observations could be attributable to developments and classified programs by US entities we were unable to confirm however that these systems accounted for any of the UAP reports we collected now the difference there. Is that it actually says in the classified version, some UAP observations could be attributable to classified USG aerospace programs or systems under development by commercial aerospace firms. So that's really interesting to me that the what they're talking about there when they're talking about the black tech, black project technologies, um is in the unclassified version, it just says kind of vaguely attributable to developments and classified programs by U.S. entities. That's it. In the classified version, it says under development by commercial aerospace firms. So attributable to classified USG aerospace programs or systems under development by commercial aerospace firms. Much more detail there in the classified version. And it seems to suggest that these commercial aerospace firms are actually developing certain technologies in cooperation with classified USG aerospace programs. That's an interesting point that there. I've not seen many other people pick up on that particular section. But so again, that all depends on how you read that particular little few lines. So this it is saying that some of these observations could be attributable to some of these classified aerospace programs that are under development by commercial aerospace firms they're basically saying there that there are things in progress at the moment that commercial aerospace firms are working on in cooperation with classified usg programs us government programs and some of that may represent what pilots are witnessing here but it also says We're unable to confirm, however, that these systems accounted for any of the UAP reports we collected. Really interesting. Again, it's another one of those. It's a game of two halves, that, isn't it? If you're just looking at the first half, you know, you you might, the skeptic might say, see, it's all just kind of black tech. But on the other hand, it says we're unable to confirm that that was the case. I'm not sure what to make of it, really. I think me personally, I look at that as some of it definitely may be, some kind of black project tech and just because they were unable to confirm that doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't actually black project black project tech now i'm not saying all of it is but it's almost certain that some reports of uap are drones and some people won't like me saying that but it is the case i mean you can't say that every single uap is definitely not a drone You certainly can't say that every single UAP report definitely is a drone either, because that's just as silly. But I think you can say the same thing about many of the possible explanations. You know, at the end of the day, some of this could be black tech. And it may be that the people who put together this report were unable to confirm that those systems accounted for the UAP reports because the programs developing these new highly advanced aerospace you know systems or aircraft or whatever they are you know maybe it's so tightly locked up that even the people who were putting this form together weren't able to access the full extent of that information and that would mean that they were unable to confirm that those systems accounted for any of it because don't forget that the level of things that could be being worked on in in top secret often will be inaccessible to people even within you know high up within intelligence you know organizations agencies and and high you know highly cleared aspects of, of the military even those people may not be able to it, again it all depends on how you look at these things but that that's kind of my view on it i don't think we can completely rule out some kind of top secret you know black project technology either from the u.s or from another government or an atmospheric weather phenomena even you can't completely all i'm saying there is you can't completely rule it out the report doesn't completely rule it out but i would say having looked at the classified report it does seem quite unlikely that those are explanations for a lot of these cases bearing in mind these reports both the classified and the unclassified both say that the majority of these reports are coming from highly trained observers who have Most of these have been picked up on multiple sensor systems, including the most sophisticated and advanced tech that the US government has got access to. And the important bit, which is actually in both reports completely unredacted, is where it actually says that in the other category most of the uap described in our data set probably remain unidentified due to limited data or challenges to collecting uh, to collection process or analysis we may require additional scientific knowledge to successfully collect on analyze and characterize some of them so that little bit there stresses the importance of how important it is to be transparent enough To be able to get good scientists and scientific advisors on board to help with the actual analysis and collection of the data you need to really identify what these things are because in my opinion whatever they are we need to know and it also goes on to say we would group such objects in this category pending scientific advances that allowed us to better understand them the uap task force intends to focus additional analysis on the small number of cases where there are initial indications that a UAP appeared to display unusual flight characteristics or signature management. So basically, the most significant cases, the most interesting ones, where signature management took place, in other words, cloaking, that kind of thing or very extreme types of acceleration etc you, you can assume that's what it means um by the flight unusual flight characteristics things that are the most anomalous basically i think is what it's trying to get out there those are the ones that it's going to be focusing on going forward with its investigations so very interesting because again that that even in itself can seem a little bit basic and that was in the unclassified version as well but what it's basically admitting in that little bit there is some of these things are extremely anomalous and unusual and those are the ones that we're going to focus on some of the cases perhaps not quite as anomalous and not as out there and, and bizarre but the ones that really are out there and bizarre which do exist clearly because they're mentioning that they're going to look into those kind of things more those are the ones that are going to be focused on going forward and that also encompasses this increased cooperation with all the different aspects of the military and intelligence services and um, within the u.s so we're definitely going to see some interesting things as we go along and move forward and there is actually a few different reports going to be upcoming but i believe they're all going to be classified reports and um, but the first one that we're going to actually get access to as the public is going to be at the end of october i think it coincides with halloween so that's the actual first time we're going to really see some public reporting although there's always the chance that we may get some hints as to what the classified uh, briefings etc that go on throughout the year uh, contain but anyway moving on um i think the, the thing that this all highlights to me is that this, this report really shows the depths that are, that are being looked into to actually find out what's going on with these and and this wasn't a quick put together job like again some skeptics um have, have kind of suggested that it was only a couple of pages document who basically just said that oh, there's nothing to worry about it's most likely drones i think you do have to kind of question whether or not that was a logical conclusion to come to especially from anybody who was actually able to see the classified report it certainly doesn't seem like that to me after having read it even in this very redacted form and it makes it very clear, you know, that there are people in these secretive departments of the US government taking this subject very seriously and that they're under no uncertain terms that something is going on here, which is a mystery. And, and you know, let's be honest, I don't directly pin this onto some kind of alien beings or something. It could be a lot of different things. There's many different hypotheses to explain what could be going on here. But whatever it is... They say it's potentially a threat to flight safety and it's potentially a threat to national security and they don't understand what it is. I mean, it, it can be a bit sometimes you can get a bit tempted to look at it like, oh, we've just got a nothing burger, it's all redacted, blah, blah, blah. But if somebody would have said to you a few years ago that the US government would create an actual report to show to Congress that says something going on in the skies that's potentially a threat to flight safety national security we have no idea what it is that is massive isn't it like sometimes we can look past that because we're disappointed that we didn't get a clear picture of a triangle or something but look that's what's gone on here you know literally the u.s government have said we don't know what it is there's something in the skies that are being witnessed by military pilots we've caught it on multiple sensor systems it's potentially a threat to flight safety and national security and we've got no idea what it is we looked into 144 cases we only had a good explanation for one of them we can't definitively say that any of these are weather phenomenon adversarial drones we just we're baffled and that is huge that is kind of the thing that i'm taking away from this and i know there'll be some people listening to this thinking you know come on frank they do know what it is really you know they're just they just kind of throwing this out there to throw people off the trail or whatever but i think it's a bit more nuanced than that first of all i don't think it's clear that the people who actually put this report together have access to the full extent of what is known about the ufo phenomenon by the u.s government because I, I know there are some people who who, who who've, you know firmly believe that the U.S. government has been in contact with extraterrestrials and has actual intact sources that they know how to fly and you know they've they've got so far reverse engineering them that we have aspects of of that technology at our fingertips now and things like that. But I don't know if there's any direct proof for any of that. We do know though that the government you know, the US government over the decades have not always been open and honest with the full extent of what they know about UFOs. That at this point is just abundantly clear. It's a fact, you know, there have been ongoing efforts to look into this topic for decades, despite the government claiming that nothing of the sort is going on. You know, it's all nothing to worry about. We've looked into it. We, we, we abandoned it because there's nothing there. It was nonsense. they were telling the public that, and on this at the same time behind closed doors, they were looking into it fairly comprehensively and I think it's fairly safe to assume that there are the ongoing efforts right now within secret departments of you know within the government within the military within the intelligence services that that are looking into it now. And they're probably doing the same thing. They don't want to reveal it because it's top secret. There's probably some off the books programs which don't necessarily report and somehow kind of avoid all of the legal loopholes that these programs have to jump through. You know, in terms of being accountable to certain people, and you know, there may be programs which don't have to do that because they've they've been. Allowed to go off the books for secrecy, uh, secrecy reasons, and for um, you know plausible deniability reasons. Perhaps these are actually operating in conjunction with commercial aerospace. As I mentioned earlier, it was kind of hinted at in the report. So, if these things are going on, it is possible that the people who are in charge of putting this report together even they weren't able to access the true extent of what's really going on there in some of these departments i know that sounds like conspiracy theory but look that's what's happened you know verifiably in the past so it wouldn't surprise me at all if that is happening now and that could be some kind of super advanced hypersonic drone it could be some kind of reverse engineering of extraterrestrial craft. We just don't know. But what we, what we can say for sure is that the government historically have not been honest about the extent of what's really going on in secret departments. I mean, it's fairly logical, isn't it? That's the nature of a secret program. So we know how these kind of projects work in the background, with funding coming in from potentially private aerospace, you know, defense contractors being loosely affiliated with extremely secretive government departments and programs. And if that is the case, the people who've actually been in charge of, of putting this task force together, they themselves may not have had access to the depth of knowledge that's actually held on this topic. They may, Even they might only be scratching the surface because they simply don't have a need to know. It's kind of, very likely going forward that these task force reports from the new the, the new UAP office which is kind of still in the process of being put together but they will have access to more information than what the public has access to that's pretty obvious but I kind of see it like it's almost like there's different categories of people with different levels of awareness so just quickly to go into them the public overall knows very little about what's actually going on other than hearsay the occasional insider who comes out who's willing to tell about what they've experienced um and you know you have the reports and and witness accounts of people who've experienced this stuff you know firsthand but at the end of the day even within that category there's people who look into this topic all the time who are obviously going to have a clearer idea of what's going on but the problem you have in this category is whether you're a hardcore ufo researcher or whether you're just a member of the public it's very difficult to actually verify anything because there's a possibility of disinformation. There's the government are only going to reveal what they want to reveal. So it's very hard to get to the bottom of anything. And I'm in that category, and as are many of you who listen to this. Then you've got the next category of people who are able to access the surface level of information on the inside, which is classified and they're able to hear about more information what's coming from these sensor systems and so on and that category of people probably have a much better idea of what's going on um, and the amount of what's actually known about this now that category in my opinion is kind of like the people who are putting together these task force reports and to a certain extent the people who are receiving classified briefings within congress etc and then in the third tier you've got people who have actually worked on classified programs directly relating to this topic. And in that regard, they have had a need to know, at least to some extent, and have been able to access certain compartmentalized information that directly relates to what's going on with ufos and those people would probably know a little bit more than or perhaps a lot more depending on you know who you're talking about obviously every case will be different so that third category the people who, who have a lot more access to information and then this is where it gets really difficult to say because we don't really know of anything further than what i've just mentioned definitively but it seems to me like there's probably another category beyond that that we're talking about a very small number of people who actually know the full extent of what is known about this and you know very, very carefully manage to you know maintain that level of secrecy, manage the information and only disseminate that information to the people who absolutely need to know. Um and you know, those are the people who are part of the compartmentalized research efforts and that's how you would keep something like this so secret and obviously there's been speculation over the years about some kind of um you know some kind of mj12 majestic 12 some kind of group that oversees all of the knowledge and progress that has been made in this in this topic and as i say you can see there that each of those different categories has different levels of access to what's actually going on don't forget the briefings that were supposedly given by eric davis to members of the congressional committees according to the way that chris mellon talks about them those briefings were designed to point people in the direction of where to look to find out more information i think it's a bit of a misconception that eric davis spilled the beans and told people in those congressional committees about everything that was going on i don't think that's very likely and i think it's actually more likely that even eric davis himself wasn't able to access you know the full extent of this information and what he was trying to do in those briefings in my opinion from the way that chris mellon talks about it the way that eric davis talks about it i think he was pointing congress towards where the depth of information actually is in the hopes of passing some kind of legislation to be able to access that information because it's so tightly locked up and compartmentalized that progress is basically stalled and that's what we've heard from you know various people who've been involved and you know whether there has been any progress in it progress in those areas in terms of getting to that information is, is unclear at this stage but we'll have to see how it all goes but anyway all very very interesting stuff to consider um, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to that it's been a bit in depth obviously I've been talking here for a bit longer than I usually do on these episodes but it's such a big thing that I thought it was really worth going into and there's another very significant thing that's happened as well over this last couple of weeks, but I'm going to have to come back to it another time because I've talked here for a long, long time about, um, you know, the, the report and, and the bits and bobs that I've talked about already. So it'd be a shame to kind of squeeze this in there. Um, just I'll stuck on the end of, of what I'm talking about here. And that is that according to Keith Basterfield on his blog on the 23rd of march uh, 2022 obviously uh, he reported that 37 out of the 38 or defense intelligence documents were released by the dia now during the bigelow aerospace advanced space studies contract with the dia bass uh, that's the uh, acronym for that um, commissioned 38 technical reports from a range of world-class aerospace specialists and academics, and then those reports were turned into the DIRDS, the Defence Intelligence Reference Documents, uh, by James Lekatsky, one of the Programme Directors for the OSAP and um, various researchers have have managed to get hold of a few of these over the years and I think that was just down to the actual the academics and um, specialists who wrote the papers were allowed to actually just publish them because they weren't classified documents they were just mostly speculative for each member Uh, of their respective fields you know each specialist was asked to basically extrapolate out where they think their technology could end up in the next 40 50 years and you know as a means to kind of figure out like where technology is heading and perhaps from that you can learn about how you know what could be behind some of these unusual characteristics displayed by these UAP and so some of the papers were already out but there's a a researcher I think is an anonymous researcher actually according to the blog anyway other people may know who this researcher is but I'm not too sure at this point But anyway, whichever anonymous researcher this is did a FOIA request to the DIA and now 37 out of these 38 papers have been released in full. Uh, The the last one, the 38th one apparently is not a brand new paper. It's one of the existing 37 papers which has a classified version as well and the classified version's not been released um, so we may never see that or we may not see it for a while but anyway, so I will put a link to the dropbox link so for for you to actually download these 37 uh, dirds but as you can imagine these are um each one of them is fairly extensive and there's 37 of them so it's not something that i'm just going to quickly go through now i'll need to actually read through it it is actually apparently 1473 pages so it's going to take some combing through and um, so definitely not going to go into that too much detail right now thought it was interesting to mention for anybody who is interested because i have talked about it on the podcast before so i'll put the description in in the description of this episode i'll put the link in for anybody who does want to download them and have a read through and if anyone has got the time to to go through that and you find anything interesting please do let me know i'll be going through it as well in my own time but it's going to take a, a you know quite a fair bit of reading to get through all of that so before i completely lose my voice i'm going to leave it there i hope you found it interesting and i would really love to hear other people's opinions on this uh, classified report as well with the redactions if there's any things that you've picked up on that maybe i've missed or if, if as always if i've got any of that wrong i'm always happy to hear about that because what i'm really looking for in all of this is the truth and trying to you know do proper analysis to get to the bottom of what's really going on here that is what's important to me so if you have, have you picked up on anything that i've said that might may be inaccurate do tell me and i'm always happy to issue corrections on the podcast just so that everybody's clear about what's really happening so if you've listened to this stage of the podcast then you are obviously an extremely hardcore listener of the podcast so thank you very much for sticking with me this has been a long one and i hope you've enjoyed it and found it interesting i mean it was it's been a huge um a couple of things to to talk about there so really quite significant i mean people have said that 2022 is going to be a big year i think these are a couple of very big developments and um, it's going to be very interesting to see how it progresses for the rest of the year now as we go along there have been a number of things going on on ufo twitter to do with kind of gossip people falling out with each other and things like that but you know what I'm really not getting involved in that. It's just not what I find interesting about the topic. All of the he said, she said nonsense, all the cult leader types of people who claim to know exactly what's going on, people who claim that they've been on board spaceships and they go and fight battles in other you know other solar systems and things like that and they know all the answers of the universe because you know an entity told them it's not what i'm here for what i'm here for is to really try and get to the bottom of things hey don't get me wrong i find things like that interesting if somebody says that you know they're in contact with the galactic federation cool you know cool story bro but like you know how are you going to actually prove that to anybody other than you know just you telling me a story it's very difficult to actually do anything with that kind of information and what what i've been talking about today is actual documents and proof that something really is going on here and that's what i'm kind of very fascinated to learn about and obviously all of the things that are in the pipeline for this year are real investigations real areas of interest that could lead to th- more things like that coming out over the course of this year and beyond so we've got the Galileo project which is um obviously Avi Loeb and a, and a dream team of experts and and even a few skeptics thrown in there for good measure who are going to be using their sensor systems that they've worked on the placing of uh, telescopes and the sensor systems to try and capture anything in our atmosphere so that's going to be interesting to see if they manage to come up with anything. UAPX have got a report coming out soon, which apparently they've, they've, there's some interesting information that they've managed to pick up with their investigations and sensor systems. And that's going to be revealed to the public. And, and I should have mentioned the Galileo project will be completely transparent with the public, at least so they say on top of that we've got the the James Webb uh, telescope which is you know the best chance we've we've got of understanding more about the distant universe and and learn about the universe that we live in that's going to hopefully yield some interesting results there's just so many uh, interesting things to keep an eye on i don't really have time to keep an eye on all the gossip and the silliness of who said what on ufo twitter and you know what i get a lot of messages off people saying that actually you know they're not necessarily on ufo twitter you know they don't even really use twitter so i think it's sometimes easy to get lost when you're on twitter and you're talking about ufo's a lot on twitter it can become a bit of an echo chamber ufo twitter really is quite small you know you're talking about probably a few thousand people maybe 5,000, maybe 10,000 people or whatever who are really hardcore into this topic and sometimes it, you can get a bit lost in the, in the kind of dramas and the who's fallen out with who and who's blocked who and all this kind of stuff. What you have to remember and what I try and remind myself is that there's millions of people all over the world who are fascinated by this topic and if they go on Twitter and see a lot of bitchy drama about people sort of slating each other and making fake accounts to slag each other off, you know, that's not necessarily going to encourage people to get involved in the topic. And, you know, I'm on UFO Twitter. I do have debates with people on there. I always try and keep it respectful. Um, Don't get bogged down in all the you know, slandering people and things like that, even if I disagree with them. At least I try my best to do that. I'm human like anybody else. Sometimes, obviously, it doesn't go to plan. But for the most part, I've managed to stick to that. And, um, you know, that that's what I'm interested in, you know, finding out about what's really going on in all of this, keeping track of the people who I really resonate with their approach who are doing similar things. And, you know, other people uh, interested in a bit more in the drama side of it. I'm, I'm really, especially now, after the last couple of weeks, I've seen a lot of that i'm really going to try and stay away from all of that and focus on getting to the answers and bring that to the podcast because that's what people actually want that's what i get messages off people from all around the world saying really interested in that that you're doing you know trying to look into this rationally and not get caught up in the dramas and things like that so definitely going to keep doing that and as i said you know keep it positive and try and find out what's really going on with this absolutely fascinating mystery which is just getting more and more fascinating all the time so like i say i really hope you've enjoyed the episode i'm going to leave it there for today until next time take it easy stay curious and i'll catch you in the next episode ufo podcast